Welcome to Joint Effort with Des Moines Orthopedic Surgeons. This podcast covers the pain and injuries that are associated with muscles, ligaments, and joints. Welcome to Joint Effort. I'm your host, Dr. Jason Sullivan, fellowship trained in sports medicine. Today we have esteemed guest, Baron, Dr. Baron Bremner. Uh, Dr. Bremner has a practice that focuses on both sports injuries, which he covers Johnson High School and Grandview, uh, also has a focus on total joint arthroplasty. And tonight we're going to talk specifically about something that's uh, very close to his practice and what he specializes in, what's called anterior total hip replacement. Welcome aboard. Thank you, Jason. I uh, just want to say I've been listening to your podcast for a long time, and I really enjoy it. Well, I wanted to open with I'm the second best host on this uh, for joint effort. <laughs> no, that's because, not true. Because when I watch yours, I think you do a better job than me. But regardless, thank you for coming on tonight. Thank we, you. We appreciate it very much. So, Bremner, give me a little background here. Um, I know a lot about you, but our audience doesn't. So I know that you're incredibly athletic and you come from an athletic background. So uh, tell me about how your father's kind of athletic pursuits influenced you to become what you are today. I do, I do have a lot of uh, athletic connections in, the, in uh, my background, mainly around my father who grew up in Iowa Falls and was a multi-sport athlete and played football and wrestled at University of Iowa back in the 50s and was fortunate enough to be on some of Forrest Evashevsky's teams and really uh, were he was those a, national title teams uh i think two of them were rose bowl teams i don't know if they were national championship teams but yeah in, in 50s what about wrestling six and seven he was big 10 champ at heavyweight Unreal. and uh actually was invited to the olympics but didn't get to go because evashevsky wouldn't let him out of practice and he wasn't a starter for the football team but he was on the the second team so how in the world do you succeed in your dad's eyes growing up as a wrestler when he did all the he, Yeah, all he that? was very, uh, he was not pushy at all and uh, gave me enough instruction. And I remember wrestling my mom when I was like, my mom was 104 pounds, you know, five foot four. And I was, you know, like in seventh grade, eighth grade, I would wrestle her in the living room. And that's yeah. what, I mean, then I wrestled my, my older brother a lot. And we just, there was a lot of shenanigans going so on you, there. you went on to wrestle and play football yourself then? Uh, yeah, in, in high school, like a lot of Iowa kids in small towns, in, like in Mount Vernon, uh, we like to play four sports and have a great time. And then in college, I my real love was football, um, but I also wrestled in college too. Um, so that, that was a good time at Cornell College in Mount Vernon. I didn't get too far away from home. Okay. So. And then from college, you somehow figured out it's time to go to med school. Yeah, I think if I – so I, I probably would have been – my dad was a coach and uh, – uh, college athletic director and like a VP at Cornell and he went back and forth co and Cornell and um, so I probably would have been like a football coach or a teacher but I really enjoyed science too mm -hmm. and I enjoyed construction which I did construction from a young age so I, I just think kind of a orthopedics is kind of a, an amalgam of everything I did all the years of construction the years of science training I just really enjoyed all that and this is a way to put it all together was your dad your wrestling coach was not mine. Okay. No, no. By that time, he was athletic director, and then um, so I had Steve DeVries for my wrestling coach at Cornell. Okay, all right. So you ended up at DMU for med school. Yes. And then on to Mayo. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> Tell me a little bit about Mayo. Everyone's heard, you know, it's probably the foremost medical institution in this country. Yeah. When you when you think medicine, you think Mayo. Tell me about your time there for five years. Oh, it was amazing you know you see so much different pathology by that I mean like different kinds of injuries um, the you know the 30 surgeons there are the leaders in thought and all their different disciplines and so you might do three months with somebody who's doing amazing transplants of muscles in the upper arm for 
uh, a bad brachial plexus injury, and then I did a lot of joint replacements there because they were, uh, uh, for about 10 years, when I was kind of in the middle of that, they were number one in the country with a U.S. News and World Report for uh, orthopedics, and so it was great to be there. I learned a lot. I really owe a lot to Mayo Clinic for my background and training. Do they have a, an airport in Rochester for all the VIPs that fly in there? They do have a, a little private airport. I remember when, kind of right at the beginning of my tenure there, which would be back in 2002, I, they were still seeing a lot of the Arab world would fly in, and they would, um, like the princes and sultanates and stuff, would have the whole top floor of St. Mary's Hospital and really? special doctors and everything. I don't know if they do that as much. I think they've got a Mayo Clinic um, over there now, <clears throat> but it was pretty interesting. You see people from all over. You'd see the bushes. I think, um, you know, so other people I... Yeah, that I had care of that I can't give you the names of, but a lot of famous people there, a lot of interesting stuff. When you were there, did it kind of click that, hey, I, I would like versatility in my practice and I want to do a combination of some things that you do currently? You know, it's kind of weird. I always kind of wanted to come back to Iowa. I always wanted to do everything, not everything, but most everything. I didn't want to do one thing. I didn't want to just do knee and hip replacements. I didn't want to just do hand surgery. So I... I um, yeah, I, I really kept track of all the different things I did up there. Kept little note cards on everything, so that then I, because I knew I was going to go into private practice and, right. and not be like an academic and just, you know, do one particular thing. Okay, fair enough. So, you know, I think I think what <clears throat> some people may not realize is that um, the Des Moines medical community is pretty amazing. I think I agree. Um, we have experts in every you know field that you could imagine, and so people like yourself go and get that training at Mayo and then you bring that same level of care to Des Moines, which um, I think is important for everyone to realize. Um, and so uh, from your time at Mayo and, and, and all those experiences that you you know drew upon, you kind of formulated, you, you came to DMOS thinking I'll do a little bit of everything and then have slowly kind of honed in on things you really enjoy or are you still doing a bunch, are you doing some hand surgery still? Yeah, I still do, um, you know, basic hand surgery, trigger fingers. Yeah. I, I enjoy that stuff. Trigger really? finger, That's carpal great. tunnel, um, you know, some a lot of wrist fractures. I'm happy to do that stuff. I love it. And in terms of sports, I know you like working with athletes. That, yeah, that really keeps my practice interesting. I'm so glad that I, I work with uh, Grandview University and with Johnston because I get to see all these kids. And, you know, like I said, I almost was a, a coach or a teacher. So mm -hmm. it's really kind of fulfilling to me to talk to them. You know, they keep me young. Uh, what are you doing somewhere. at Grandview? Are you on the sidelines football? We do sideline football coverage. When we're asked to come cover uh, wrestling, we cover that. Um, every Monday, uh, Nick Honkamp and I, Nick was interviewed earlier in the in the session. We Every Monday we go to training room there and just kind of help their fantastic athletic training staff diagnose and treat their injuries. And if they need x-rays, we bring them over to clinic and get that done. But a lot of times we can deal with stuff in the training room. Fantastic. That's awesome. Um, a few other things when I got here that I realized, I, I know you, you enjoy biking, and you kind of ran through the five different kinds of, you have a fat tire bike, you have a road bike, and the DMOS, DMOS actually sponsors a bike team, correct? Yeah, that's a, right. A cycling team? Yeah, it's a, a really nice team. It's in, uh, you know, in Des Moines, mainly, central Iowa. It's got a wide variety of uh, people that are in it, everything from, you know, really recreational people to super serious racers all ages i think it's got the biggest women's group of of racers at least it did a few years ago um even down to uh, juniors um for younger kids to train sure. and you're still kind of amateur but you're riding yourself you're not you're not racing anymore but you're yeah i don't want to give up my amateur up status <laughs> yet so uh 
No, I don't. Well, I don't ride as much as I used to. I, you know, I used to do triathlons and a lot of bike races. I had a couple hairy bike races in races where, you know, one time one guy dislocated his finger, another time I had road rash over all over my body and broke a couple bikes. So, I decided that's probably not. I'm not going to be a pro. So it's probably smart to just ride, you know, and Absolutely. play tennis, and that's I, about it. I think your practice actually does a nice job of exemplifying your personality. As you said, you like to do a bunch of different things, and the the only time I've ever seen someone engineer and steer a drone at their own party was at your 40th birthday party when i didn't even know what a drone was at that time but my future sudden, 40th birthday party <clears throat> yeah i'm sorry yeah. it's coming up <laughs> that was your 30th right yeah right your 30th but no i look up and I'm, what is that noise oh bremner's got a drone up there you had it following the party and doing yeah. all these innovative things yeah. and so it seems like you like to look into new avenues of doing things differently and yeah i do like kind of cool way to film that. your party yeah you it know? was um Anyway, so let's get down to it because All everyone right. wants to hear about, you know, what does an anterior total hip mean? So we know a total hip is a replacement of the arthritic hip joint, correct? Right. So tell me, when you say anterior total hip, what are we talking about here? Is it a different procedure? Uh, it's mainly the approach to the hip. So um, when you say approach, what does that, what does that mean? How you get in to do the work that you need to do. Okay. You know, so traditionally, this actually is kind of a traditional approach to the hip joint, um, although when it was used initially in Europe, it was you know probably like a two foot long incision. It was going in this plane, which is in the front side of your thigh, up near the groin crease. Um, not really deep in the groin, because that's where the arteries and, and blood vessels are, but it's a little bit off to the side. Um, but they, it's not a, a brand new approach. Uh, it used to be used, like I said, for you know other hip surgeries, trauma, but it was a big extensile surgery before. Um, for hip replacements, kind of, a, you know, originally back in the 50s and 60s, they would do all sorts of different things. They, sometimes they would even detach part of the bone to get to the hip, just to get everything out of the way, because you got to get down there somehow, and then they'd have to reattach it, and that was a problem. Um, so there's, basically, I'd say now there are three basic approaches to the hip re replacement. One is coming from the back, and one is from the side. Back being posterior. Yeah, from kind of the rear end area. Front being anterior. Front being anterior, and then one from the side, too, straight from the side okay. too. And there are uh, little variations of each, and there are some that have tried two little incisions replicating it. Um, but what I do typically, uh, you know, 99% of the time I do what's called an anterior approach to the hip, which is coming between two muscles on the front part of the hip to avoid muscle damage. Okay. When you trained at Mayo, you obviously learned that there. So actually, interestingly enough, I was at Mayo from 2002 to 2007, and no one there did anterior approach at all. And they actually, most of them were, I mean, we called it, we thought we were pretty conservative up there, but by conservative, I don't mean like a step behind. They felt like they were, just didn't want to do anything that was, an, was unproven. Right. But so at, the, at that time, about 2000 or so, um, MATA was starting to develop this for the U.S. and developing, using a special table, because it's kind of a hard interval to get to. So using a special table and fluoroscopy or x-ray machine during surgery, he was able to get the components in perfect position and not damage any of the muscles. So I did actually did not learn that in, in uh, residency. Uh, what I found out was when I got into practice, I, I found some deficits with the other approaches and I found some uh, appealing things with the anterior approach that I wanted to look into. So I had to go actually travel and kind of do a little you fellowship on my own. Well, I started out here really close to home um, and went to see Jeff Clark first up in uh, Waterloo because uh, he was doing it. And he was the guy who said, you know, you need to look into this because uh, um, I, I really like it and I, I've noticed a big difference in how quickly my patients recover. So 
he's a he's a friend of mine and actually my brother-in-law and so I, I went to visit him first and I was like oh this this can be done you know right. I was a little trepidatious about anything new and then I went to see Matta who's like you know the the father of it in the US and out in California okay and I also went up into to Fargo to see a guy who does a lot of them uh, there and um, also you know you don't want to just jump into this so many different courses and cadaver right. cadaver labs and things like that before I even did my first one in 2010. 2010, okay. So the fact that you graduated residency in 2007, is that yeah. what you said? Yeah. The fact that Mayo Clinic wasn't doing anteriors at that time, that probably just shows the evolution of how quickly anterior approaches have become popular in yeah. the, the U.S. That yeah, I don't know the said. numbers now, but I, I, when I first started doing it, it was about 4%, and uh, last time I checked, it was about 40% of all hip replacements are done anterior approach. Might be even more than that now. Um, you know, no one in my group did it. Um, hardly anyone in Iowa did it when I started doing it. But um, since then, a lot of my partners have started doing it too. A lot of my partners still do an amazing job with a posterior approach or a direct lateral approach too. So that's important to keep yeah, in ultimately, mind Ultimately, um, you know, I, this always uh, resonated with me whenever you were told that, you know, going through residency, you know, uh, there's so many different ways to do things, correct? Yeah. And with replacement surgery, they always hit home with the fact that uh, component positioning was, you know, took precedence over anything else you did. Right. So no matter how you got there, if you didn't put the components in correctly, it didn't matter what you were there to do. Yeah, so. you don't really care what the skin incision looks like. You need to make sure the surgery is done correctly. Right. And uh, so I would, you know, I would say my caveat for this talk would be um, whoever your surgeon is, if you have a surgeon already, if you like that surgeon and trust them and they do this, the approach through a posterior approach, you will have an excellent result. You know, the one thing we know is that hip replacements have one of the highest quality adjusted life years ratings, which means uh, you are gonna get a big bang for your buck with a hip replacement. You're gonna be miserable beforehand and you're gonna be happy afterwards with low risk of complications. Yeah. And that's with a posterior approach or any other approach. But so, I think there are some benefits to the anterior approach. So when you say you'll be miserable beforehand, tell me um, just briefly, what are signs of arthritis for an individual in their hip? Where do so, they have pain? That's a great question. Uh, a lot of people, you know, who haven't maybe just are self-referred or walk in off the street and come see me complain of hip pain, and they're actually pointing into their buttock or their low back because that's kind of think that's the hip region, but a lot of times that's a back problem. Um, really, the signs of hip um, arthritis a lot of times will be groin pain. It can be pain from the groin down into the knee, especially the outside of the knee, stiffness of the hip. Um, like difficulty getting out of your car from the hip or difficulty uh, putting your shoes and socks on. But um, really, one of the hallmarks of it is oftentimes groin pain. Are there conservative things you can do to help them before they need yes. a replacement? Yes. A lot of times people will have already tried a lot of them, which is you know trying your Tylenols, uh, trying to stretch, uh, avoiding activities that bother you, trying to leave. Um, when somebody comes into my office and their hip is pretty worn out, but not totally destroyed, I will oftentimes uh, recommend they try a cortisone injection. Okay. Um, sometimes you, you could try a stem cell injection too, which uh, you know doesn't have as much data behind it, but uh, that might help give some people some relief too before you consider surgery. Okay. Yeah, we seem like a lot of people are trying those different things, hoping that this would go away. But what ends up, it seems like arthritis doesn't ever completely go away, and it, there, there has to be some genetic component uh, towards why or environmental component in combination that leads towards a, a hip replacement. So is there an age that's too young for a hip replacement? Um, I would say 
there's not an absolute age and you were right about the um, genetic component and things like that uh, and there's you know a lot of people are just born with this hip that's there's a time there's a clock going because mm -hmm. their hips not quite perfectly built and right. there's a clock it's going to be 55 years when they wear out instead of 85 years it's just that's the way they are um, but as far as age I've done you know as young as 27 years old from a post-traumatic you know like a car accident type thing um, in general you should wait as long as you can comfortably I don't what I tell people is you know don't ruin your quality of life you shouldn't you know becoming obese because you can't do anything let's pull the trigger and fix it even if you're 45 if, if that's the case but um, if you're reasonably comfortable the longer you can wait the less chance there is that you would need to have another revision in the future which would be you know could be more difficult to do um, every time you do any kind of joint replacement surgery a second time it's there's more complications associated with it so ideally we'd get to somebody who is going to only have that one surgery okay and it, is there anything to what you said about being miserable for your hip replacement is there anything to the more severe pain you're in the better result you have after hip replacement versus if you just have some mild pain and you have a hip replacement yeah is there a big difference between those two categories of patients well yeah with um it's more so with knee replacements even than hips but uh, anytime if you have you know risk factors for not being satisfied with a joint replacement would be things like um you know maybe a Number one, a lot of depression and anxiety. Number two, being on some narcotics going into surgery. Uh, number three, younger age, because I think a couple of reasons. They have more pain afterwards, more swelling, and also they're not as satisfied with the surgery because they want to be just perfectly normal. And, you know, with a hip more than a knee, you are perfectly normal. But with a knee, you know, it's always an, uh, an artificial knee. Um, but, uh, yeah, so along with that, the x-rays, if the x-rays are real bad, you're probably going to do better than if your x-rays are kind of... Okay. Not too bad. So there is something to waiting as long as you can, and then having it be yeah. worth it. Yeah, don't be don't be miserable, but um, also don't think that it's you know something at a drop of a hat will replace your hip and you'll be great. So tell me in your experience, you know what what has the anterior hip done for your patients? What are the advantages that you see? Well, one of the first things I saw is that people got off crutches a lot quicker. Um, so I was seeing people at two weeks who were. You know, I was struggling to ask them to stay on crutches at two weeks because they're like, well, I just used them for a day or two. Why do you want them on crutches still? I still want them on crutches for two weeks because these implants go in really tight into the bone and we're relying on the bone and implant then to grow together. So it's basically just to remind them that they had a hip replacement to allow the two surfaces to meld together. Now that'll take more like six weeks or even longer, but I really think the first two weeks are imperative. Um, also, you know, they're going to feel amazing when they go home and they might overdo it and then have swelling and, you know, um, might have some more pain and then call in and say, well, I'm, I'm having a lot of pain. And then we get into this whole thing about So are you, you feel like you're discharging people earlier, maybe on doing an anterior in your mind or from what you're experiencing? Actually, our data has shown that, um, you know, going to the anterior approach is lopped off about a day or two okay. day and a half in the hospital. So people have been going home faster. Also, and less pain medicines. So. Okay. Before we have to send people home on heavy-duty pain medicines. Now, typically, we send somebody home on Tylenol and a non-narcotic pain. Can medicine. you send them home the same day? We do send people home the same day. Um, we'll do that at seven in the morning or nine in the morning, and send them home by eleven or two in the afternoon. And that's going just as well. Spending a night in the hospital. Yep, no complications. Going great. Awesome. So, in addition to you know rehab being a little quicker, um, is there anything intraoperatively that you? particularly like about the anterior approach in terms of you know the measurements you're taking yeah how you're how do you figure these that's a great out? question um, one of the things I love about the uh, anterior approach is the posterior approach is great people do well but I was noticing that I was doing some things with my surgery 
because I was worried about dislocation. That's the main knock against posterior approach is uh, about a 1% to 6% risk of dislocation or the ball coming out of the socket. And so there were some things I was doing with the mechanics of the hip to make sure that didn't happen that maybe didn't optimize the mechanics of the hip for function. And so with the anterior approach, I can I use an x-ray machine during it, and I can, can exactly replicate the center of rotation. I can take x-rays while we're working. Uh, some people who don't use the table can actually check leg lengths just by putting their hands on the feet, you know. Um, but I use the table, so I use an x-ray machine to check our leg lengths. I've also done navigation for leg lengths and So you can trial position. your components, look at your leg lengths, say, hey, this is, I'm matching things perfectly. And yes. And one of the great dissatisfiers after a hip uh, gone wrong is leg length discrepancy. Leg length, yeah. Right? So, you know, part of that is... Um, Part of that's a discussion with a patient ahead of time about what their anatomy is, because sometimes you have no choice but to lengthen a patient. But um, the x-rays help us quantify exactly where we are. And with the older approaches, or formerly, people would usually kind of have to estimate um, leg lengths. So here we can really dial it in. So you get someone through their surgery, and then they recover really quickly, and they feel great. Let's say, unfortunately, a 45-year-old has yeah. terrible hip arthritis. happens all the time. And you replace their hip. And, you know, six months ago, they really enjoyed running a 5K. Can they run again? Traditionally, a total hip is not recommended to run. Is that still correct? Well, so this approach doesn't change anything about the bearing surface. The bearing surface is still going to wear out more when you use it more. And so you can run, but you shouldn't run. Okay. I have a guy, I told him never to run again. And he's 75, and I heard from somebody else that he's run about eight to ten marathons (laughs) since I did his hip replacement. Yeah. Do you get x-rays annually on him then? No, uh, about every five years. Just bury your head in the sand. (laughs) He might bury his head in the sand. I told him not to do it. How old is he? He's seventy-five, but uh, active guy. Um, I usually tell people that's the one thing I don't want him to do is run. I don't mind if they ski and water ski and weightlift and tennis and everything else they want to do. But um, I would prefer them not to run just because the more cycles you do, the quicker it'll wear out. Can a patient feel totally normal again? Yes. Can they can they actually feel like they never had a hip replacement? Yes. Yes, that that's called you know a forgotten joint. You know, so the rates of that are very high at one year. And I found with a to- with an anterior hip, it's more like you know three months, four months. People are telling me, you know, I cannot believe I waited this long. This is the best thing that ever happened to me. These are my favorite patients by far. Not, I mean, I shouldn't say that. Well, they're you're the all happiest. you're all my favorite patients, but they're my <laughs> happiest patients. It's my favorite patient interactions because no. they are just like you have saved my life. You know that sort of thing. What other restrictions do you put on them besides the running thing? Can they? Can you ski? Can you play tennis? You can play everything. Um, you know, one knock against some approaches were that you can't cross your legs for six weeks afterwards, can't bend forward at the waist. We typically don't put those restrictions on most of our anterior approach candidates or uh, patients because we don't violate the same muscles a lot of times. Okay. So, um, so not really a lot of restrictions afterwards other than I tell people I don't want you lifting a lot of weight for about six weeks afterwards. Yeah. And then at what point can you forget about the, you know, you, you did the patient surgery, you see him at a year, you see him at, you see him at five years then, yeah. is that right? Every five years then? Yeah, I see him every five years. Uh, do you just tell them, hey, remember, come see me in five years? How does that work? Oh, uh, we got a little tickler in the system where we can send out a text reminder. And that's just to radiographically follow the joints. Yeah, you just so. want to check for a plastic wear or any signs that um, there's some early uh, failure that we could intervene on early before there's a disaster, you know, so. Um, With the newer plastics and metals we're using, yeah, how long in your mind do you expect these, a well taken care of yeah. anterior hip to last? Right. Yeah, right, a well taken care of is the key. You know, if you're a manual laborer um, and really hard on it, it might be less, but 
I tell people that with the in, inferior plastics, the worst ones that we used to have with the old techniques, you could get, you know, 85% would get to 20 years and some would go to 30 or more years. And so we're, we're for sure going to get more than that. Um, I t I'll, t I'll tell people it's about a 90% chance to get 20 years out of it. And there's a good chance they'll go to 30 years with it. Really? Yeah. No kidding. That's so that, as you said, most people won't need another revision. Of that's our goal. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that's fantastic. Uh, do you do you send any of these patients to physical therapy, or is walking enough for them? I only send them to therapy. So I, I I think rest is important afterwards. Icing is important afterwards. I don't want to rush people into anything, and I think that some physical therapy can be more goal oriented. Like we got this to do today. We got this to do today. You got to take care of this, um, and I don't want to get them in, inflamed. So. I think that their therapy could be really good for them early on, but I'm not there to like, you know, watch everyone. So I like to not have them do regular physical therapy for six weeks. And if they're still limping at six, at six weeks, I'll send them to physical therapy. And it's okay. really rare. I'd say okay. one in 30 people I send to physical therapy. So most people don't even need physical therapy yeah. or something like this. Correct. It's incredible. Well, folks, you've, you've heard from uh, someone who's essentially helped bring this technique to central Iowa, if not the state itself, and uh, he's, I believe, does the most anteriors in our group. He does it well over 200 a year. Is that correct? Correct. Remner. Um, so this is a this is a fascinating topic. I think uh, you did a fantastic job talking to you know telling people what to expect, and very much appreciate you coming on today. Um, we were going to try and get to some more topics, but we're out of time. But thank you so much for being here. And thank you for we, having we me. We could talk all day, but oh, yeah. I don't think, uh, you know, at some point we lose our audience. Another time. <laughs> Thanks so much for being here. Thank we appreciate you. It.